Good morning. Our first scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, through chapter 12, verse 9. You can find it on page 17 in your pew Bibles. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor were both both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they lived there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Our second scripture reading is Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. It could be found on 1509 in your pew Bibles. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Loving and gracious God, 
You are ours and we are yours. You called us today to this place and we come carrying all that life has thrown at us with us. Lord, living in these days is not so easy for those of us who claim to follow you. So Lord, teach us, mold us, make us, renew us, refresh us. You know what each of us needs. And you are the supplier of our every need. So Lord, meet us today. Show your face to us that we may be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you love change? Now, I don't mean the money that rattles around loose in your pocket. I mean change. Not many of us, huh? Imagine if you were told that there was change coming in your life. You didn't know what it was, when it would come, what it would contain, what it would do, but it was coming. Get ready. How many of you would be filled with anxiety? Imagine living where it is you live, and God comes to you and says, go move. Where, God? Don't worry, I'll show you. How many of you would like that sort of change? Would that be welcome in your home? Probably not. Friends, we come today to a section of Scripture, Genesis 12, and I'm going to put to you that the entirety of Scripture, the whole of salvation history and God's plan, hinges on those verses that Sharon read for us today. It's a story about change, isn't it? And it is this change, this call of God that comes to a particular man at a time and place telling him that he's going to have to move and don't worry about where or when, you'll find out, just start going. And it is on this story that the entire project to redeem humanity hinges. Let's go back to the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis. You know what it's filled with? Death, dysfunction, sinfulness. Humanity is spiraling down deeper and deeper. You have the first human murder recorded between Cain and Abel. You have tribes that emerge and start warring and fighting with each other. You have Noah's flood where God looks down upon the earth and guess what? There's only one righteous family in the whole world. And then you'd think maybe humanity would have learned their lesson, but they didn't. Things continued to get worse, and chapter 11 contains the story of the Tower of Babel, where humanity's arrogance has reached a point where they assume the role of God. God confounds their language. There's division. There's dysfunction. And that's the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And then one man enters the scene upon whose shoulders rests God's blessing and through whose life the whole world is impacted and everything changes. You know, in any great story, and I love books, I love to read, there comes a moment that shifts a character and changes them forever. 
I think of Ebenezer Scrooge in Christmas Tale, Christmas Story by Dickens. And really, if you read that closely, it's his encounter with the third ghost, the one of Christmases yet to come or in the future, that really changes him. When he sees what life is like after he's dead, and people talk about him, and he starts to see clearly the legacy that he is leaving, and he changes. It's Spider-Man bitten by the spider. It's Bruce Banner encountering radiation that turns him into the Hulk. It's Frodo receiving a ring from his cousin Bilbo. There's a moment where everything changes. And those stories have staying power because we hear them or we read them and we recognize in them a truth that reflects into our own lives. That there comes a moment in every one of our lives, where everything changes. And you know, when I've preached on Genesis 12 before, this call of Abraham and the beginning of this covenant that God makes with him, and in our lectionary, that cycle of readings that the church is given to follow week in and week out as it structures its worship life together, I never noticed those verses that Sharon read at the end of chapter 11. When I read them this week, I thought, oh my, we've got to start there. Because friends, here's what happens. Abram is born to a man named Terah. And Terah lives in what is in modern day sort of southern Iraq, best we can tell. That's where Ur was. He lives across the Euphrates. And he gets the message to, to go and to move, but there's a couple problems. First of all, when he gives birth to Abraham and Abraham marries Sarai, what's wrong? Abram and Sarai are not able to have a child. And also Terah, Abram's father. Terah means moon. And Ur was the center of lunar worship. And also the end of the book of Joshua, where Joshua is going through all of Israel's history and repeating it to them, he tells them this. He goes, Terah, Abram's father, lived across the Euphrates and he worshipped other gods. These few verses are telling us this, that the entirety of humanity that knows the one true God is coming to an end. This one family left that preserved it. They worship other gods, so they're spiritually dead. And Abram is not able to have an heir with his wife Sarai Physically, death is upon them. It's all about to end. And then a call comes to Abram to go. Abram means father. And as you know, in just a short while, his name is changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations. So it's kind of like daddy and big daddy, right? And here in this one moment, in the throes of spiritual and physical death and decay, with with humanity hanging in the balance, continuing to spiral down and to get worse and worse, this call of God comes to Abraham that changes everything. And God begins this project to save and to redeem and to restore his creation. 
Because it is through this promise that begins to receive shape here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12 that the promise, this covenant comes to a particular people in a particular place and it is through Abraham's line that eventually the Messiah would come. God in human form, God in the flesh who would come into our world to save and to redeem. But it all starts with a man who heard a call to go to a place that he didn't even know. And through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of a particular people in a particular place. But it took one man to respond in obedience to go that began it all. See, friends, one of the things this scripture tells us is this. Without the call of God coming into our lives, we're dead. We're completely dead. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves, to redeem ourselves from the dysfunction that seems to be all around us, increasing more and more every day. The division and the rancor and the hatred and the violence all around us. None of us can do anything to save ourselves. The first 11 chapters of Genesis chronicles story after story after story of humanity trying to do just that. To make their own way in the world apart from God. And all it does is result in more and more death and dysfunction and decay. And then the call of God comes. And one man answers it. Not a perfect man by any means, is he? If you know the story of Abram, soon to be Abraham, he's kind of a cheat and a liar. This is not a man of integrity and honesty, at least all the time. And yet he's the man that God calls. And through him the whole world would be changed. Here we see God begin to make a covenant with Abraham. And a covenant in the ancient world and in the, in the Bible is all about this. God promises faithfulness to a particular people. And in return for that faithfulness, he asks of them commitment. Commitment. To worship him, to follow him, to, to live for him alone, to go when he says to go, to stay when he says to stay. And this covenant that God makes with Abraham, which is then ratified anew with Jacob. And we see it play out all through the Old Testament. This covenant that God makes. And you know what happens again and again and again. God is faithful. People are unfaithful. Over and over and over again, God holds up His end of the covenant. But the people and their commitments are fickle. They're fair weather. They see some anxiety around them. They see change that they don't like, and guess what happens? They take back what they've handed over and attempt again to be in control of their own lives instead of following the one who had called them and giving it to him. Does that sound familiar? My, my, my. 
Friends, unless the call of God comes into our lives and we respond in faith, and you know what faith is? Faith is just trust. That the one who's made the promise will be faithful to complete the promise. And it is in trust, it is through faith, that Abraham goes. He embraces the change, not knowing where he's going, and he sets out. And in doing so, there's a glimmer of hope for humanity. Physical death and spiritual death need not win the day. There's hope again. There's hope again. Go ahead several thousand years to a man walking around, finding tax collectors, finding sinners, finding people who've been pushed to the edges of society, finding people that others would go out of their way to avoid, talking openly to women and loving them when others have cast them off. And what does he say? Come, follow me. Notice what he does not say to Matthew in Matthew chapter 9 when he calls him. He does not lay out before him all that it will entail to follow. He does not tell him where he will go, what he will do, how his life will be changed, what the end result of that call will be. All he says is two words. Follow me. And the text says, Matthew got up and he followed. In the spirit of his ancestor Abraham, the call came and he went. Friends, today, even now, God is moving among us, calling for us. You know, even if you've just said yes to Jesus Christ, which thank God you have, that is the first step on your spiritual journey. But the call comes again and again and again every single day. We must follow anew every day. As the world around us continues that Genesis 1 through 11 spiral downward. As dysfunction and chaos and death seem to press in on us from every side. And we may, like so many others in Abram's day, be filled with pessimism and distress. The call of God still comes. He still makes covenant with people who will say, yes, I'll follow you. Yes, I'll go. Oh, I may not know all the answers. I may not know where you're taking me. But I trust and I'll follow. Friends, without the call of God that calls us to leave our comfort zone and makes covenant with us. Unless that call comes in our lives and we answer it, we are dead. There's nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves. There's nothing in our own strength we can do to make this world a better place. All we can do is surrender ourselves in trust and confidence to the one who calls us and allow him to work through us. He's the one who will bind up our broken hearts. He's the one who will open the eyes of our spiritual blindness. He's the one who will break off the chains of addiction and sin. Only him. Only him. 
And that call echoes down the ages, echoes in the halls of churches, echoes through homes. Come and go. Follow me. So the question remains, friends. What will you do? Will you answer? Will you go? Even if you don't know where you're going, will you say yes? Do you have the trust that our Lord is faithful and that He will do what He said He will do? May it be so. Amen.